following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motoke Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Chapter 7, verses 14 down to the bottom of the chapter, verse 25. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 down to verse 25. Verse 14, let's read that together. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the, the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Piece of paper and just drop that into 1 Corinthians 9. We'll get to 1 Corinthians in a little while, but we won't be there at the beginning. We'll spend most of our time instead in Romans chapter 7. Just so that you know what's coming over the next few weeks and months, Uh, Today will be our last sermon in the book of Romans for quite a while. It'll be probably into February before we come back in Romans chapter 8. We'll finish chapter 7 today, and then next Sunday I plan to preach a one-off message, uh, namely for missions, because I believe that it's important for our church, as we say, we love our church, that we be focusing outward and not so much inward. And then the following week, Brother Phil will begin a five-week series, and I will be away. Becky and I will be traveling to the U.S. on the 4th of October, so that's a week from tomorrow we'll go to the U.S. We'll be there for about 12 weeks. The pastoral staff will be leading the church in my absence, and I'm very thankful for the way that they've done that in the past and totally believe that they're going to do an awesome job of that while I'm gone. Some might say, going for a holiday, I just think that I might just dispel that for a moment. I promise I will take a week off while I'm gone, all right? I will take a week with our girls, and we'll enjoy that time together with them. However, I will be preaching in 11 different churches while we're in the States. 
for those 12 weeks. Five of those will be for missions conferences, and uh, those are back-to-back-to-back meetings. And so I would uh, appreciate your prayer for us while we are going. Uh, First, I would pray that you would, I would ask that you pray for my mental clarity. And I'll explain why those of you that have been with us for a while know that as a result of my brain injury almost three three years ago, when I am tired, my brain function drops off significantly. Um, It begins with, I cannot remember people's names, and then it ends with, I cannot remember words. And so if you would be in prayer for me as we go from one thing to the next, uh, I look at the jet lag that will begin at the beginning of that, and then right off of the jet lag, right into missions conferences. And so if you would be in prayer for me about mental clarity, and then also I pray that our testimony as a church would draw glory to God, and then also would draw the interest of other, especially young people, that God might be calling them to be serving Him around the world in some capacity. And just the same way that I pray for our young people, that God would raise up young people from our church to go other places, I pray that as I am given the opportunity to preach in other places, that God would stir up the hearts of those young people to go to other places. And while we are there also, we'll be gathering materials for the church and for the school. Very excited. We'll be picking up, Lord willing, picking up some really nice chairs for our new auditorium. Um, And so the plan is not to send these over there, but instead we replace them. Looks like we're going to be able to put 301 seats into that auditorium. Um, I think that, oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Some of that's for next week. I love my church. I'll give that to you next week, all right? So today's sermon will complete Romans chapter 7, and we'll just have a glimpse. Actually, we'll have a glimpse of chapter 8, but then we'll leave chapter 8 for when we return in February, Lord willing. The law is good, and yet sin has taken the law and used it to grab a foothold in our lives. You saw that in Romans chapter 7, verses 8 and verse 11. Verse 11, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. That sets up a picture of warfare for us. This spiritual life is war. You are constantly, for the rest of your life, believer, you are constantly going to be at war against the flesh. He'll describe that today. There's a war that's going on, and he even uses the phrase, the war between my mind and my members. And you remember 1 Corinthians uh, sorry, Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but instead yield yourself as an instrument unto God and your members as instruments of righteousness. And so there's a battle that's going on. There's a war that's going on between my mind, what I know is right, and my members, what my body wants to do. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you would understand that this is the truth. There's going to be a battle that's going on, but I want to just let you know right from the beginning, that battle does not have to rage all the rest of your life. You can gain victory, and I'm hoping that as a result of our time in Romans chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 7, perhaps today we might be able to bring all those pieces together and help us see that you can have victory. You see, the law was good. God made it that way. He didn't make it sinful. Sin was the enemy. Sin took the law and used it to gain a foothold in your life. And then once it came in, sin found friendly territory. We might say enemy sympathizers. 
You know what I'm talking about? Enemy sympathizers. My mind goes back to the European map in World War II. The German Nazis took Poland, took Czechoslovakia. They just invaded them. But the Netherlands was to the north of Germany. The Netherlands, they said, we're going to remain neutral. We don't want to have a war with anybody. I mean, let's just be honest, who wants to have a war anyway? We don't want to have a war with it. We are neutral. We're not for you. We're not against you. The German government said, okay, if like that, you guys stay there. We won't attack you. You don't attack us. You stay there. Don't join sides with the other side. The Netherlands were like a bunch of good little boys. They sat there and tried to stay out of the fight. But then, in May of 1940, the Germans surprised Blitzkrieg and overnight overran the Netherlands. Netherlands, the Netherlands, the Dutch, they never saw it coming. They did not expect, here, we'd made this treaty with these guys, and we had agreed that they wouldn't come and fight against us, and now all of a sudden, bang, we wake up in the morning and they're bombing us. An interesting thing happened when the Germans invaded the Netherlands. There was a political party in the Netherlands called the National Socialist Movement. They were shortened as the NSB. I don't know why NSB instead of NSM, National Socialist Movement. Sounds like you would get an M, but they got a B. I don't know what the B is for. The NSB, political party. It turns out they were all Nazi sympathizers. So when the Germans rolled into Netherlands, they found here's 10,000 men that aren't going to fight against them, but instead instantly would switch sides and would be with them. So instead of fighting against 10,000 soldiers, they just gained 10,000 soldiers. They were enemy sympathizers. When the enemy comes in and finds enemy sympathizers, they don't find someone to fight against. They fight to find somebody to join the battle. And you realize this is what sin has done. When sin comes into our lives, uses the law to gain a foothold into our lives, and then all of a sudden finds this enemy sympathizer called the flesh. The members of my body have every desire to jump in line with sin and just go, yeehaw, we're on the same side, let's move forward. And this is what Paul's going to talk about in this passage today. We know that the law is spiritual. It's good. See it in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, fleshly. My body is made up of this flesh. I have members, body parts. I am carnal, sold under sin. But remember, Romans chapter 6, you are dead to sin. And how shall you who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Remember, Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, you get to choose who you're going to be a servant to. Remember, Romans chapter 7 and verse 4, you are dead to the law. So even when sin comes in and tries to use the law to grasp a foothold, you're dead to that one too. And yet this flesh is very much alive. He says, I have a desire to do what's right. I'll show this to you. There's three times he says it. Look in verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. And here you go. For what I would, that do I not. In other words, I want to do right. That's it at the core. He has a desire to do right. It says it again in verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. So I want to do right, but I don't end up doing that. He says it again in verse 21. 
I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Three times now he said, I want to do right. So we would say, in his body, in his mind, he wants to do right, and yet he keeps falling in sin. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in this position. He has a desire to do right. But that desire to do right is not the only desire that's there. There's also another desire, the desire to do wrong. You can see those in verses 17 and 20. Look at verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I have this desire to do right that's in me, but then also there's this other thing that's in me, and it's called sin. Sin is in me. In verse 20, now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You see, sin has jumped in, taken a foothold, has grabbed my flesh and used it as an enemy sympathizer against me. Let me read verse 14 down to verse 25 to draw our attention to the text as a whole. Verse 14. I'll read to verse 24 because there's a change in voice at verse 25. Let me see verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. That's in my mind. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good which I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. If I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Hear the angst in his soul. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death. Paul's describing a struggle that he has against sin, even to the point perhaps where he despairs of his own life. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This is him despairing, as it were. And I submit to you this morning that you do not have to live there. Paul, I think, is describing a point in his life Perhaps he's now saved and he's come to a point in his life where he is battling against sin. But then he says it so clearly in chapter 6. I'm dead to it. It does not have to rule over me. So I can lay it aside. And yet he gives us a glimpse in chapter 7 here, verse 14 to 24. He gives us a glimpse into some of what that battle was like. You know how you handle an enemy sympathizer? We said the flesh is like an enemy sympathizer. Do you know how you handle enemy sympathizers? I think back to, again, back to World War II. The United States was in war, at war against Japan. And there was a great chance that some of the people who were second generation, third generation Japanese might have been enemy sympathizers with the Japanese. And yet, if you were to talk to those people, they would say, oh no, oh no, we're Americans. And yet... They looked Japanese. And when it comes time for war, yes, I would say that's a very dark point of history for America, but i got to tell you guys, if you're in war, you don't take chances. What do you do with the flesh? 
If the flesh is your enemy sympathizer, if it's going to partner up alongside of sin and do battle against you and you're going to end up in a bad place, you know what you do with it? You take those enemy sympathizers, sorry for them, you put them in a camp. And when the war is over, you let them out. It's a terrible time in American history as entire people groups were put into camps. We might even say into prison. You know why? Because the nation's sovereignty is at stake in that moment. You have to decide, am I going to be kind to my flesh and allow my flesh to have some leeway? If you do... You're allowing enemy sympathizers to go along and it will destroy your soul. So what do you do with an enemy sympathizer? You don't trust them. You don't. You cannot trust your flesh, brothers and sisters. We'll see it in a moment in 1 Corinthians. We'll see where Paul talks about, I beat my body down. I do not allow my body to have its way. There's a war going on and that war is between my mind and my members. If you give space to your members... There will be lost ground in the battle against sin. Look here at verse number 15. He says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. I see three different kinds of sin listed here. He's talking about sin, this battle against sin. So I see three different kinds of sin, and I'll just list them for you. We'll put them up, and they kind of follow in the verse. The first part of the verse, he says, the first kind, I would call this sins of commission. Sins of commission. So there's sins that happen in your life, a sin of commission. You can see it in verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. In other words, sometimes I do a sin, and when I do it, I look back and I go, I should have never done that. I don't allow that. If someone were to come and ask me, is it okay to do this sin? I would say, no, never. That's a commission. I'm committing this kind of sin. That's the idea. Sin of commission. Perhaps it would be something like somebody asks you a question and you answer in a way that's not entirely truthful, but the way that you answered it makes you look good. I don't know if you've ever done that. I'll put my hand up and say, guilty as charged. Somebody asks me a question I know that if I answer it this way, it's going to make me look good. If I answer it truthfully, it's going to take a whole explanation. And so here I'm just going to answer it, short answer. It makes me look good. But you know what that is? It's lying. Pride. When I look back on it, in the moment, I didn't plan this out, but in the moment I committed this sin, and he goes, I, that which I do, I allow not. I don't want to have this. This is sin. There's another type of sin he lists here as well. He says, second one, for what I would, that do I not. That's sins of omission. It's the opposite of a sin of commission. Sin of commission is I do a wrong thing. Omission is I don't do a right thing. See him say it again. For what I would, that's the thing I want to do, that do I not. Perhaps that one might sound something like this. Maybe you hear that a brother or sister in Christ is sick and in the hospital, and you know the right thing to do is to go and visit them or go and help their family, and yet something else comes up. Maybe it's you got busy and you didn't get by, or maybe there was just something more fun in your calendar and you didn't go by. That's a sin of omission, something you should have done, but you did not do it. But there's a third one here that I think is the most sinister and the one that he fights against the strongest 
in this passage, and that would be the sin of presumption. And you can see that at the end of verse number 15. He says, but what I hate, that do I. Sins of presumption. In other words, I know that I shouldn't do it. I hate that sin, and yet I still do it. That's a sin of presumption. I might even say that in that moment, the flesh joins hands with sin to undermine your spiritual walk. Charles Spurgeon said this about presumptuous sins. He said, all sins are great, but some sins are greater than other sins. That's what I'm seeing here in this passage. That which I hate, presumptuous sins, that which I hate, I find that I'm doing that. Oh, a sin of commission, that's a moment. That's just, it just comes and goes. John Piper used the illustration of two different kinds of doors. You can see a, a trap door. He goes, you know, talking about the trap door. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things on the cartoons was a trap door. Some guy stands before the king and says something stupid, and the king pushes the button, and whoop, he's gone. When I was a kid, that was my favorite moment. Just goodbye. You had no idea that was coming. It's a trap door. I think that sometimes that sin of... Tra- uh, sins of commission or sins of omission can fall into that trapdoor status. But you know what sins of presumption is? It's a giant gate. You see it coming from a long way away. You know what's on the other side, and it has, it's upright, it's not going to surprise you. You walk up, and it has a doorknob, and you turn the doorknob, and you open it, and you go through it. That's you choosing to sin that's presumptuous. It's the worst kind of sin there is. And yet, there are so many of them. Presumptuous sin is me intentionally turning a blind eye to cautions of God and His Scripture and opening that door and partaking of that sin. Oh, there is no place for that in a believer's life. Psalm chapter 19 and verse number 13, David wrote it like this. He said, Please, Lord, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. If anybody was caught into presumptuous sin, David was. Remember David? Saul lusted, committed adultery, tried to cover it up, murder. Every single one of those presumptuous sins. And David knows and feels and understands the angst that's in his soul over this battle. And he says, Oh Lord, preserve me. Keep me back from presumptuous sins that they may not have dominion over me. And then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from this great transgression. So can I take a moment and just point at some presumptuous sins? If you're a believer, you should not be walking down the path of presumptuous sins. See the door that is there. Walk away from the door. Choose not to go through the door. Remember, you're dead to sin. You get to choose. It's an option that's given to you as a believer. An unbeliever doesn't get the option. The believer gets the option. You know why? Because he's in Christ. I'm in Christ. When Jesus went to the cross and died for sin, I was in Christ and I died to sin. It no longer has dominion over me. This is a glorious promise that comes to only believers. I'll point at some presumptuous sins. Perhaps they can be a help for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. The Apostle Paul speaks to the people of Corinth who are surrounded by a lascivious lifestyle. He says this, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his 
own body. But what? Verse 19, know you not, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You don't belong to yourself anymore. You're in Christ, and He's placed the Holy Spirit in you. Don't walk down this path towards this sin. It is presumptuous, and it is worse if you give yourself over to it knowing that you should not go to it. You're not living away from sin. You're asking sin to come get your dead corpse and pick you up and have dominion over your life again. And there's no place for that if you're a believer. He continues on, you were bought with a price, verse 20. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are God's. And by the way, it doesn't just have to be the sin of fornication. It can be any sin can be presumptuous. Embezzlement, theft, Adultery, any number of sins, any of them, I can forethink, plan out, and sin. That's presumptuous. Commission had just happened. Find myself on the backside of it, and now I need to get that taken care of. Presumptuous is I walked up to that door and I intentionally opened it. Oh, let us not go there, brothers and sisters. Presumptuous, it means I'm presuming. I believe that this sin doesn't matter and God's law doesn't matter. My ways are better than His ways. You know what I'm doing? I'm lifting myself up in presumption. I presume that I know better than He does. I remember sitting across the table from a young man about a year ago. Sat across the table from a young man as I tried to provide counsel, give him direction. Brother, what you're doing is wrong. You should not be going down this path. And then as he says, not, oh, I'm doing wrong and I need help. Instead, I love my sin and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. In my heart, I was crushed for I knew that this man is not being led by the Spirit. No desire to follow after the Lord Jesus would say that presumptuous sin is the worst kind of sin. Think of presumptuous sin like this. Here's an illustration. Let's say two men were brought before a judge for the very same crime. Let's say the same judge, two different guys, did the exact same thing. One of them is brought before the judge. He's a beggar, and he has stolen a loaf of bread. And you can just imagine as the judge asks him, why was it that you did this? And this beggar says to the judge, I'm very sorry, sir. I was hungry. My stomach was paining. And in this moment of weakness, I grabbed it and ran around the corner and ate it. And yes, somebody saw me. I should have never done that. I'm so very sorry. You know what the judge would say? Slap on the wrist. Out you go. Don't ever do that again. The other one. Arrogant son of a rich man. Why did you steal that bread? Because I saw it and I knew that I was smarter than everybody else and I could figure out my way to get it and if it hadn't been for that little boy that was down the aisle and saw me do it, I would have gotten away with it. That's presumptuous. You see this very big difference there. Oh, may we not find ourselves in presumptuous sin. For what would be the punishment for that arrogant man? Not slap on the wrist. Not go and don't go, go and do it again. The judge will give a sentence at the highest he can possibly give. Sin of presumption is something that is terrible, and a believer can never go down this road and still have a full understanding of what the gospel is. 
If you are a believer and you find yourself battling, struggling with presumptuous sin, can I ask you, please come back to the Gospel. For the Gospel is what will transform your life. The change will happen when you understand Jesus took my sin on the cross and I don't have to be a slave to it anymore. I don't have to partner up with sin anymore. When sin uses the law and tries to grab a foothold in my life, I don't have to submit to it. And yet Paul describes this all throughout this passage. He describes about this war. So how do I overcome it? I hope that you're asking. I hope that that question's in your mind this morning. How do I overcome it? I'll give you four of them. Very simply, that come together from Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7. The things that we've seen. How do I overcome this sin? See in chapter 7 and verse 18. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. You've got to understand that. In my flesh dwells no good thing. When someone says to you, if it feels good, do it, I'm telling you, they're not being led by the Spirit. For this verse says, in the flesh dwells no good thing. Oh, follow after the Spirit. For to will, he says, for to will is present with me. My mind, I want to do right. But then when it comes down to the actual fulfilling of it, how do I do this? And he's already given us the ways to do it. First off, you need to think differently. How can I do this? How can I live this out? First off, think differently. Look back at chapter 6. We've seen this verse over and over. But I hope that it will help to sink in. How can I stop sinning? Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Think differently. Verse 11. Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's in your mind. Consider yourself. Reckon yourself. So when sin comes along and tries to grab a foothold, use your flesh as an enemy sympathizer, you've got to think differently. Oh no, I'm dead to sin. It will not rule over me. I'm alive unto Christ, and I'm doing this for, Christ, for God in Christ. So I'm going to think differently. Second one, how do I overcome this? First, I'm going to think different. Second, I'm going to pray. Oh, you need firepower from heaven, friend. If it has been sin that has held you hostage for years, you need firepower from heaven. Oh, Father, I need your help. You might consider praying David's prayer, Psalm 19, verse 13. Keep back thy servant, he prayed. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. and Let them not have dominion over me. Lord, I need your help here. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to pray. Remember his question in Romans 6.1? Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Let it never be so. I can't let this happen. Number three, choose to not be sin's servant. Choose. This is one of the most glorious promises that I find for a believer. The fact that you get to choose. Don't you know, that was Romans 6 and verse number 16, don't you know that whoever you yield yourself a servant to be, he is who you're, whose servant you will be. You're going to be stuck there. You get to choose. And so this is where I would ask you to come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have a piece of paper, just drop it back in Romans 7. We'll come back there in a moment. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth here in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. 
He's talking about this battle that's going on between the war of my mind and the war of my members. I want to do right, and yet my body continually wants to do wrong. So watch what he says about this. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. But I keep under my body, and I bring it unto subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You say, Pastor, what's he mean? Does he, does he mean he takes a belt out and whips himself? Does he mean that he twists his finger when he's doing wrong? No. He says, I keep my body under subjection. I don't allow it to go to this point. I stop it at the beginning. I keep my body under subjection. Here's verses 1 down to verse 10. I won't read them, but I'll just point out a couple of highlights from them. He's going to use the nation of Israel as an example for us. Here's the example. All, you'll see it in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Four times, five times he uses the word all. All our fathers all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses. All ate the same spiritual meat. All drank the same spiritual drink. In other words, every single one of them had the exact same opportunities. That's us, brothers and sisters. You and I who are believers, we're in Christ. Every single one of us has the same opportunities. But then what happened? Verse 6, these things are our example to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. So then, verse 7, don't be an idolater as were some of them. Verse 8, let us not commit fornication as did some of them. Verse 9, let us not tempt Christ as some of them did. Verse 10, neither murmur as some of them murmured. Here's the point. Not everybody murmured. Not everybody committed fornication. But everybody was given the same options. Same ability. You and I as believers are given the same ability to follow Christ, be dead to sin, choose to do right, think differently. All of us are given that opportunity. And yet some of us will choose to take it up and some of us will choose to instead side with our members in the war. We will let sin join hands with the flesh and we'll give over. We'll just join the enemy as well because it's easier than fighting back. Oh, you get to choose. Then look at verse number 11. He says, All of these things happened unto them for examples. They're written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world has come. So here we are in our day, and we can look back on that day and see that example. And that example can come across, and we can see it in our lives now. Verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So if you find yourself today in a position of victory, be careful. Take heed. You're standing right now, but be careful because it's not you that's standing. Remember, we find this victory by being in Christ. It's not you who's standing who will gain the victory. No, I'm in Christ, so Christ is going to be the one that gives the victory. But then here's a moment of hope for us. If you're not standing in victory, verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And so can I give you a word of encouragement here? So as sin comes along in your body, the members of your body says, yes, I would like to partake in this. At the very same time, our Heavenly Father who has placed us into Jesus says, here, I'm going to provide you a way to escape. 
There is a way out. You say, well, I'm just going to sit here on the couch and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask God to provide me a way to escape. He provided you a way to escape already. It's called the door. Walk out the door if you need to. You don't have to stay there. Talk with people. They say, I get around my friends and the next thing I know, I'm drinking with my friends and the night's been wasted away and we're drunk. You don't have to stay there with your friends. God gave you a way of escape. It's called your two feet. Called your brain. Called your mouth. You can say no. You don't have to follow down that path. You don't have to fall into fornication. You find yourself saddled up close to, rubbing shoulders with somebody who's not your spouse, now all of a sudden you start thinking, well, I can't stop. Yes, you can. He provided a way of escape. It's called the door. Called your two feet. Called your mouth. Say no, get up, walk out the door. He provides a way of escape. Nobody, hear me well, brothers and sisters, nobody is forced to sin. You're provided with a way of escape, so choose And being a believer, you get to choose because you are in Christ. So be careful. Don't think you're immune. Take heed. If you think you stand, be careful. You might fall. Find your victory in Christ. And then when you find yourself in temptation, look to Jesus and God will provide a way to escape. You get to have a choice. A third one, how do I overcome sin? So we've got to think differently. We're going to pray. Ask God, God, help me. Third, we're going to choose not to be living in sin. And then fourth, I'll say this, get someone else involved. Get someone else involved. You see, sin loves to hide in the darkness. Loves the darkness. And perhaps you might be thinking, well, it's okay. I can take care of one, two, and three all on my own. I'll be fine. I might just ask you, how's that going for you? That working well for you so far? implore you, get somebody else's help. Can you just imagine there's a band of brothers in war and one of them is caught around the corner and nobody else knows about it and there he is in the corner and he's taken fire from the enemy. You know what his band of brothers would like better than anything in the world? They would like for him to get on the walkie-talkie and tell them, I'm under fire, I need help right now. You know why? Because if that band of brothers cares about his soul, they're going to come running to come be a part of helping him. Oh, get somebody else involved. James chapter 5 and verse number 16 says this, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, peace comes in confession, saying to a brother or sister, I need some help in this. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, I've watched that happen within the body, even within our body. I've watched it happen as brothers and sisters have come alongside of one another and said, here, I'm going to help you. Call me in the middle of the night. You're in the middle of trouble. I promise you, I'm not going to hang up on you. I'm not going to tell you, good luck. Come running some firepower. You can keep it hidden. And yet, if you keep your sin hidden, you will find yourself aching. David describes that. Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 to 3. Listen as he talks about the blessedness of confession. Here's Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered by God. 
Love it when He covers my sin. He forgives me. Blessed, verse 2, is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. There's something glorious about repenting of sin and being freed from it. But if you hide it and you cover it up, watch what happens. Here's verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. You want help in the struggle? Gain in, brothers and sisters, that care about your soul. Get somebody else involved. So we come into verses 22 and 23, Romans chapter 7, verses 22 and verse 23. He's going to uh, see this war just reach its apex. Here we are, Romans chapter 7, verse 22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So I see this apex coming here. He says, on the one side, I have the inward man. Notice the way that he puts these against themselves. He says, on the one side, I've got the inward man, and on the other side, I've got the flesh. You see, this is two different sides, the inward man, and then the next part, he says, the inward man, after the inward man, I love the law of God, but then after the flesh, I love the law of sin. It's as if there was a law. The law, the flesh doesn't have a law, but it's given a comparison. God's law is going to be with my mind. I want to serve God, but then with my flesh, I'm going after the law of sin. And then he says, with my inward man, my mind, I'm loving Jesus. But with my flesh, with my members, I'm loving sin. This is a great example. I'll read it to you again in verses 22 and 23. You can see those two sides warring against each other. I delight in the law of God after my inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin which is in my members. You see the word warring? If I were to allow it, the flesh would take me into captivity. And yet I don't have to allow it to... Now watch as he says in verse 24 that things reach that pinnacle, the hottest point of the battle. Here he is in verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I've read several times, several places in Tarsus, that's where Paul was from, Saul of Tarsus. In Tarsus they had a custom that if a person murdered someone else, the punishment for the murderer was to tie the dead body to the murderer. You just imagine that? And then for the rest of his days, and by the way, if you've got a rotting corpse tied to you, your days are going to be numbered. And for the rest of his days, that person perhaps in prison with a rotting corpse tied to him. I wonder if that might have been what Paul had in his mind as he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Here he has this flesh, is what he calls the body of death that's just dragging me down. You see, when I follow after sin, the wages of sin is death. And I'm going to have shame all along the way. Can you just get this picture of a murderer who is constantly reminded by a dead body tied to him? And everybody that walks by his cell sees him. You talk about shame? He knows where the end of this is. I'm going to rot along with this corpse. You see, he asks, oh, who's going to deliver me? There is coming a day... 
I can just give a glimpse and hope of glory, there's coming a day when God will change this corruptible body into an incorruptible one. And that's going to be a glorious day. But friend, we don't have to wait for eternity to have eternal life. We can have it now. And he's going to answer his own question. So let me show you the question. It's in verse 24. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The answer is in verse 25. And he gives gratitude and thanks as he answers it. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God. He did it. God delivers me from the body of this death. And how did he do it? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the short answer. How did I get delivered from the body of this death? By being in Christ. Instead of me being in the flesh, I'm going to now be in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. I'm not going to be having sin fighting against me and ruling over me. I can have victory over this. I can think differently. I can walk differently. I can pray. I can employ the friends and brothers and sisters around me and get them involved in this spiritual walk. I can choose to do right by being in Christ. But it's not going to be my flesh that wins this battle, for the flesh is warring against my mind. It will never happen the right way. So he closes chapter 7 with these words, I, With my mind, I serve the law of God. With the flesh, the law of of sin. I have moments. Brothers and sisters, if we are honest, all of us have moments. We have moments. And yet, I might encourage you to come back to the cross. An understanding of the gospel will help you to have victory over sin in your life. I'm going to close with three verses. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. And I might just make mention that chapter 8 does not start a new thought. And I'll explain what I mean by that. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he wrote it as a letter to the Romans. He didn't sit down and write Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't write that. He wrote Paul. And he starts the letter, and he writes the letter start to finish. And when he finished, there was no concept in Paul's mind that one day this will be 16 chapters. It was just a letter. And so when he writes chapter 8 and verse 1, he didn't write 8 one. He wrote, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. So with my mind I serve God and with my flesh I serve sin. And then he comes into the very next verse. So don't think of this new chapter, new concept. This concept flows right out of 725. Here's what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So if you're finding yourself having this struggle and you're finding yourself continually coming back and condemning yourself, can I show you there's two parts here in verse number one. One part is there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And that's glorious. The other part is to them who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. So the one is God condemning you. The other one is you condemning yourself. So you want to live free from that condemnation? Walk in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then the other one that we know happened at the cross when God saved my soul, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. 
when I read that verse, my mind goes back to Romans 5 and verse 1. So just put a finger here and flip over to Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I don't know if you remember what that glory of God was like. Instead of us fighting against Him, we're now at peace with Him. Oh, He's glorious. His firepower is something else so that when I come to face this sin instead of me having to fight my mind against my members no I'm in Christ and his firepower is the one that's going to overcome this problem I'm just going to hide myself in Jesus I'm going to let Jesus be the one who overcomes this sin for he already went to the cross and he already took it he's already destroyed sin and he will overcome the he already overcame the grave and there's coming a day when he will put death to death And oh, Jesus Christ has already won the victory. So all I have to do is hide in Him. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. One more verse and we'll be finished. Look at chapter 8 and verse 13. If, remember you get to choose. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if, through the Spirit, you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You get to choose. Am I going to walk after the flesh? If I do, walk after the flesh. Allow my members to hold hands with sin. Oh, I'm headed down a road that will bring me condemnation and it will bring me no peace. But instead, if I hide in Christ and I live through the Spirit, I can, the words he uses in verse 13, I can mortify the deeds of the body. I can put to death sin in my body. You see, you get to choose, brothers and sisters, so be killing sin. The old Puritans used to say, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You can choose to do what's right. Sin does not have to rule over you any longer. You can pray, Father, keep me from presumptuous sins. You can be thinking differently. See yourself as the way that God sees you. I'm justified, and so I'm going to live in the way that God sees me. You can be yielding your members as instruments of righteousness. And you can be enlisting the assistance of your brothers and sisters in the battle. You don't have to lose the, bat- the war between the mind and the members. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to take our sin. Thank you that the gospel is not only for our salvation and eternity, but that it is for our sanctification in our daily life between now and the day you take us to be with you forever. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have victory Yes, through choosing, through understanding, through enlisting help from brothers and sisters, through prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to live wretched men, but instead we can live knowing the freedom that comes by being in Christ. ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you, church. Love you. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. 
We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.